0: Hello! Thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Father God, we thank you and we praise your holy name. Lord, each and every single, we are all broken people and there are so many needs in this congregation that are unknown to us. Help us to be sensitive one to another. Help us Lord to be willing to share the joy and share the burdens of our fellow brother and sister. Help us to be encouragers and edifiers of each other, to help each other along this path. You are a good God. Help us to be sensitive to you. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. So, I want to say this. I want to share my heart with you. I love you. I'm going to fall off here. We need to make these steps different colors because they really sort of blend in together. Growing up in the Nazarene church, there was this big old evangelist. His name was Pat Duncan, ironically. Um, anyway, a camp meeting over in Louisville, over at what they used to call Canaan Acres. Um, he would go from one side to the other and he'd be, Woo! preaching and talking and praising. And all of a sudden he disappeared, just dropped right off the edge of the stage, but he never stopped. He disappeared. His voice kept going. The next thing you know, there's his head and he keeps right on going. Never skipped a lick. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) I digress. Uh, I love you guys. It has been mentioned to me. And if I in any way have ever offended anybody or came off as too harsh or too hard, I am truly sorry. Because whatever we say needs to be delivered in love. And I love you. But at the same time, I will not apologize for the truth. That being said, we were supposed to start today with a song and I I was really tempted to sit up here and bring it up on my phone and play it over this microphone. But has anybody ever heard the song Screen Door on a Submarine by Rich Mullins? Raise your hands. There's one, there's two, there's three. All right. Most of you have not. It's a funny song. It's a shame. But to talk about faith, to talk about loving faith without talking about loving deeds is about absurd as the concept of a screen door on a submarine. This morning, we're going to talk about sola fide. Faith alone. Two weeks ago, we were in Second Timothy, chapter three. We were talking about Scripture, and I think we affirmed that God's holy Word is sufficient, and inerrant, and infallible, and eternal. Last week, we were in Ephesians. We talked about grace. We talked about how we were dead, how we were defiant and how we were doomed. Without God's grace, that unearned merit of God, all of us are lost. There is a heaven And there is a very, very real hell. And I will get back on topic in a second. But there is an eternal destiny, one way or the other. There is no middle ground, there is no happy medium, and there is no riding the fence. You are either for God, 100%, in faith depending upon the grace of God for your salvation, or you are dependent on an infinite amount of other things, they're going to take you straight to hell. Period. Only by God's grace, in faith, through faith, in Christ, are we saved. Becoming right with Christ is called justification. and We're going to talk about that this morning. How are we made right with God? Justification. All three Christian religions, for lack of a better word, will all agree that it involves faith in Christ. Unfortunately, Only one of those three stand on faith alone. The other two depend on faith plus. It is not faith plus. It is faith in Christ. The Westminster Confession says this about justification. An act of God's free grace. When he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Webster's 1828 edition. And I, I highly recommend if you have a dictionary on your phone, download the free Webster's 1828. Because it is probably one of the most purest Editions of the dictionary there is. It says that justification is the remission of sin and absolution from guilt and punishment. An act of free grace by which God pardons the sinner and accepts him as righteous on account of the atonement of Christ. You will not find that in Webster's dictionary today. In Romans 3. Verses 24 through 25, we read this. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. We're going to look at three points out of that verse. The first one being this. The source of our justification is the grace of God. We are all freely, we are justified freely by grace through redemption. Redemption means to buy back or ransom. The second point, the ground of our justification is the works of Christ. Christ was presented as a sacrifice for our atonement, the shedding of his blood. That sacrifice needs to be received in faith. The term for this is propitiation. And that that means is the sacrificial sacrifice of Christ satisfied the wrath of God. Second Corinthians 521 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus lived a life that we couldn't live. He lived the law and obeyed the law that we can't obey. And he died a death that we cannot die. Do you believe that? His righteousness is given to us because we have no righteousness outside of him. The writer of Hebrews writes in verse, chapter 9, verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no righteousness. Charles Spurgeon comments. Oh, how sweet to view the flowing of my Savior's precious blood with divine assurance, knowing that he has made peace with God. The third point that we get from Romans is found in the very end of Romans 3.25. It says, to be received by faith. The means of our justification is faith. So what is faith? Has anybody ever read Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, the first verse of the faith chapter? Now faith is confidence in what we hoped for and assurance of what we do not see. That is the biblical definition of faith. Webster's again says this, it is the ascent of the mind to the truth of God's divine revelation on God's own testimony accompanied with a scent of our will an entire confidence or trust in God's character and declarations and the character and doctrines of Christ with an unreserved surrender to the will of his guidance and dependence on his merits for salvation. One more quote and I'm sure you're getting tired of these. Anybody ever heard of Tony Evans? I love Tony Evans. I wish I could talk like Tony Evans. He explains things in ways that just baffle my mind. It is so simple and yet profound all at the same time. He said, talking about faith, faith is acting like something is so even when it is not so in order that it might be so because, God said so. Amen. Love Tony Evans. In other words, it's firm belief on God's testimony and God's character. Belief. We have faith. We believe. We believe in the truth of the gospel. It influences our will and it builds our reliance solely on the sacrifice of Christ. Billy Graham says that faith literally means to give up, surrender, or commit. Faith is complete confidence. Do you have confidence? Do I have confidence in all that Jesus said? We've talked about how he is faithful to the end. Do you believe it? We sang a song this morning. This is not in my notes, so I guess I'm ab-libbing. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Joy is not based on our situation. It is not based on the things that come into our lives. It's not based, it's not happiness. Joy is something that is profoundly deeper and is only found in a relationship with an almighty God. Do you believe that you can have joy in your sorrow? Do you believe that? I hope so. Because life is full of sorrow and God promised us sorrow, trials and persecution. And that's why joy is outside of that. We can have joy in God because of our faith and because of our confidence. And what he has promised to do. Billy Graham continues on that note. And says discouragement is the opposite of faith. It is Satan's device to thwart the work of God in your life. Discouragement. Anxiety. Fear. Have no place in the Christian life. Does that mean we're not gonna suffer them? Oh, (laughs) oh yeah, on a daily basis. But it doesn't define you. There's joy through everything. And if you can find that, and if you believe that, and you have faith in it, and you can live in it, then all those other issues, the discouragement, the anxiety, the sorrow, start to take a back seat. We don't always understand why it's happening, but God is allowing it, if we can believe that. He is allowing it for a purpose and we can have joy through that purpose because everything ultimately is done for the glory of God. Your salvation is done for the glory of God. God even said he took joy in the bruising of his son when he was crucified because ultimately the death of Christ And the means of our salvation was for the glory of God. And the only way that happens is through faith. Faith is Christ-directed. It is not self-directed. And it is Christ-reliant and not self-reliant. It isn't faith in faith, but faith in a person. And that's Jesus Christ. So how important is it? Hebrews eleven six six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. It is impossible to please God without faith. There are a lot of wonderful people in this world that do not believe in Christ and will suffer an eternal penalty. And they do a lot of good things. They're very what is the word philanthrop?'t philanthropic whatever. Somebody shout it out. They give to charities, they're very aware of the suffering around them. they give to help others. And that is amazing. And unfortunately, there are times where an unbeliever's deeds will outweigh the deeds of a believer. And that's a shame. And we're about to talk about this. Our deeds do not point to our salvation, but our deeds, our loving deeds should be an outflowing of our security in Christ. Today's passage is found in James 2. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 26. They will be up on the screen. So in context, chapter one, James is focusing on how he uses trials and he uses persecutions to grow our faith. In chapter two, he shifts gears and he starts talking about the Christian life. In particular, he starts talking about a situation where when believers would get together, Those that were rich, more attention would be paid to. They'd be given the best food, the best drink. And those that were poor would be shuffled off to the side and ignored. And James calls them out in chapter two. He calls them out because they are not practicing what they are preaching. You ever heard that term? They're not walking the talk. James began this section with a bone to pick with his readers. Take a look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Where is the proof of your faith? Is what he is saying. The life application commentary says this. That talk is cheap and unsubstantiated claims are worthless. Faith not accompanied by deeds is not a saving faith. Anyone can say he has faith, but if his lifestyle remains selfish and worldly, then what good is that faith? It is merely faith that believes about Jesus, not faith that believes in Jesus. There's a big difference. He was on to say at the end of that verse, can such a faith save you? Can it? James' answer is absolutely not. It's a dead faith. The second example he gives is in verses 15 through 16. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace. Keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? He gives us a scene of something that's probably very common in that day and time. A believer who does not have adequate clothing is probably wearing just an inner tunic, has nothing to keep himself warm from the cold, and at the same time, he's hungry. He's thin. He's starving. Then he introduces us to another character. A believer, his reaction to the individual that lacks is an indication of his faith, his character, and his place in Christ. They say, hey, I see you're really down on your luck. You're not looking too well. Oh, man, I hope you find a coat oh, man, I, I hope you get some shoes somewhere. Oh, and I, I, I see you're super thin. Man, I really hope you find something to eat. I, I, I hope something across, comes across your path. And then God bless you. I have a confession. I don't know how many times in my life it's not like thousands, but it's enough. There's been somebody in need and I've prayed for them. Earnestly prayed for them, wishing them well. And, and do not get me wrong. The prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Prayer is important. It's vital. I can speak to you on personal experience with the power of prayer. I am not belittling prayer at all. But there is such a thing as an empty prayer where I have prayed for somebody in need and not acted because it was easier that way. When someone has a need, we are called to invest. And investment takes time and it takes energy. And it it's so much easier to say something or to throw money at a problem than actually invest. There was a gentleman by the name of Terry Brummett. I worked with him at the city of Akron. Anybody remember the old workhouse, the Akron corrections facility? Evidently nobody spent time there. Okay, that's probably a good thing. It was a jail and I worked there from 90 to 94. And during that time, during the winter, we had one of the coldest winters on record. I might be exaggerating, but I'm almost positive that the temperature was like minus 20-something with a wind chill of close to 60 below. When I got to work, we had two people in the holding cell, and Akron never arrested anybody that night. The only time I can remember working there, we didn't have any visitors. I had issues with my car on the way to work. It was the water pump. Terry Brummett, who used to be an auto mechanic, drove to the auto parts store the next day when we got off work, bought a water pump and crawled under the car with me to fix it in temperatures that were like 30 below zero. I'm not saying every single one of us is called to do that. And I know we can't solve every situation that comes across our path. But we need to be sensitive not only to each other, but we need to be sensitive to the voice of God as he speaks into our life. Because you are here for someone else. The Christian life is not a solitary existence. We are made for each other. And in helping each other, we glorify God. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. He invested his time in me he didn't just say here it's money go buy a water pump good luck fixing it because I didn't know oh, I can't say that in church I, I didn't know how to do it how does a Christian claim to be a follower of Christ and not help his fellow believer. The Apostle John asked the same question in 1 John three seventeen through 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has not pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Has it ever occurred to us, and I'm talking about myself as well, Have we ever considered that we might be the answer to someone's prayer? There's a story told about a man on an island, stranded. Helicopter flies over, sees him, drops the line. He goes, nope, don't need it. I'm waiting on God. A little while later, a boat sails by. They stop. Nope. Waiting on God. God is going to miraculously deliver me. He ends up staying on that island, ends up dying on that island. He goes to heaven and says, God, why did you abandon me? No, I sent people to help you. But your eyes weren't open. The same thing with us. He sends us into people's lives for a purpose that we need to be attentive to. He sums up everything in James 2, 17. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action is dead. Dead. Calvin said, we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Now I know he's talking about Christ in that situation because faith can be in simply faith or, or, or oh, I have faith, tomorrow's gonna be better. But no, faith has to be based on something tangible. And in this case, the tangible aspect of faith is Christ. But also it is not a faith that is alone in itself. It is a faith that blossoms D's? that's not the word I want. When our faith is strong and our faith is true, good works and good deeds will follow. It's sort of like faith being the fire and deeds being the smoke that you see coming out of the chimney. Where there is smoke, there is fire. Should be that way. Have you ever heard the question, if you were put on trial for being a born again Christ follower, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I've heard that before. It's it's an argument a lot of people use. And sometimes, it would probably be a hung jury. And sometimes in my life, I probably would have been acquitted of being a Christ follower. Because what I did did not always match what I say. And if I'm gonna be honest with you, it's still that way sometimes. I am not perfect. Lord knows. I was telling my wife on the way here and try and follow me on this because my my mind works funny. So we're going to get to heaven and there's going to be people when they get to heaven, their life is going to look like this perfect Michelangelo statue kind of thing. Flawless. And then when I get there, I'm going to be a ball of mud that still needs an awful lot of work that ain't been finished yet. I'm not perfect. And honestly, I don't think anybody in here is. We all can grow and our all can grow in our faith. He goes on to say in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. James then says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith with deeds. This guy sees deeds as kind of like a spiritual gift. Some have it. You'll do deeds through your faith. And some don't. I just have my faith. And that's not the way it works. He's saying that you have basically, basically it's like saying that breathing is a gift when they make that argument. James says that if we're truly born again, we will do good works. These works don't make God love us anymore, but they do flow naturally from our relationship with Christ. And do you remember last week where we said that Christ died to make dead people alive, alive people breathe. Christianity is not private. Our life is not to be lived hidden behind the doors of our homes or the doors of our churches. Christianity is to be lived in public, and it is very, very uncomfortable at times. But in Matthew 5.16, we read that in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Good deeds bring God glory. Back to what I spoke to you just briefly earlier. Your salvation brought God glory. The death of Christ brings God glory. The deeds that you do in life bring God glory. So all. that's where it all ends up. It all points to the glory of God. James is talking about the fruit of our salvation an outpouring of our faith. Because if a person is truly saved, what kind of life do we expect from them? What kind of life does God expect of them? Matthew 7, verses 18 through 19, says that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus their fruit, thus by their fruit you will recognize them. I look at it this way. I think of faith is calories. Can't see them, but you do see the result. I would like to say that this is an example of my faith. It's not. The apostle Paul remember said that becoming saved Coming to Christ follower is a life-changing event. Second Corinthians 5.21, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Warren Wearsby says that no man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same any more than he can come in contact with a 220-volt wire and remain the same. Is that true? I've said in the past, and I'm gonna say again, I firmly believe that everything that transpires in our life, God either wills or allows. You agree with that? Good and bad. I just completely forgot where I was going. Is your faith, is our faith visible to those around us? The next verse that we get to, verse 19, is probably one of my favorites, especially when it comes into the the avenue of apologetics. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. He starts this statement with a phrase that every Jew would have known. A Jew that they, uh, uh, something that they would have learned and grown up with through childhood and something that they would recite twice a day. It's called the Shema. Has anybody ever heard of it? Okay. Deuteronomy 6, four through five is where this comes from. Shema refers to the very first word it's the Hebrew word for listen. And it says, Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Some versions say, Hear, O Israel. They mean use the same thing, that word, Shema, to listen, to hear. And it means to attend to, to obey. James says, "So what if you believe? So do the demons. This individual has a whole lot of head knowledge, but he has no change of heart. They believe of a God. They believe one exists, but do they believe in? Do they hear him? Their knowledge does not lead to repentance. It leads to terror. And how? Back to verse 19, please. Back to verse 19, please. Okay. You believe that there is one God good, even the demons believe that, and they shudder. That's how we know. The word for shudder is fisa. It means to bristle, to stiffen, to stand up, and to be struck with extreme fear, to be horrified. This is actually where the whole term goosebumps comes from. Fisa. Do you remember the story in Matthew when. Christ confronted the demons and the man. Their reaction was, what do you want of us, O son of God? They knew who he was. They didn't believe in him the way that a relational belief is. Charles Spurgeon wrote, if there is a faith that leaves a man just what he was and permits him to indulge in sin, it is the faith of devils. Perhaps not even as good as that. For the demons believe and tremble while the hypocrite professes to believe God and dares to defy God and seems to have no fear of him whatsoever. What is your faith like today? Do you hear him? Do you abide in him? Do you believe in him? Is your faith in Christ or is it of an empty faith that rests on anything but Christ leads to hell. The fourth example is actually two examples. James wraps this section up by giving us two examples of what real faith looks like. Talks of Abraham in verses 20 through 24. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? seems to contradict everything I've just said. James realizes who his audience is and uses Abraham as an example. But it seems to contradict everything that Paul has already said. And honestly, it's not a contradiction. Romans 3.28 says, For we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of law. In Galatians 2, 15 through 16, we read that we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human will be justified. So do James and Paul agree or do they disagree? They agree. They agree. How can that be, Brother Paul? That doesn't make any sense. It makes complete sense. They don't disagree. They just approach the subject from two different points of vantage. The Life Application Commentary says the emphasis is different. Paul is writing about the root of salvation, whereas James is more interested in the fruit of salvation. The perspectives are different. Paul is looking at justification by faith alone, whereas James is referring to God's final verdict over the Christian life at the judgment seat of Christ, where every single one of us will be judged on our deeds. Has nothing to do with salvation. We're already there. We're in heaven and we are being judged for what we did. And that's where those crowns come from that we ultimately lay at the feet of Christ. So yeah. Deeds are important and they should be an outpouring of our faith. They shouldn't be empty. They should be something that just naturally flows as the love of Christ flows through us and is manifested in our love for others. Matthew Henry wrote that faith is the root, good works are the fruit, and we must see to it that we have both. The second example that he gives is Rahab, who was a Gentile. Abraham was respected and Rahab was a prostitute. Abraham was called a friend to God and Rahab was from a pagan nation, but ultimately they both shared the same fruit. James 2:25 says in the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. She believed in the one true God. Her faith led her to hide the spies. If you turn to Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, it's the story of Rahab. And what I want to focus on here is verse well, 10 where she says to the spies for we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sahora and Og, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord, your God in God in heaven above and on earth below. They heard. I'm now going to flip over to Romans. Chapter 10 verse 17, where it says, so faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ there is value in hearing. That's what I'm getting back to. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Rahab heard the truth about God. And she believed and faith was given unto her. Her faith saved her, I should say. Do you believe that Christ's word does not return void. Do you honestly believe that? Do you believe that your testimony when talking to people does not return void? Because your testimony is evidence of a life lived. Your testimony is evidence of a life surrendered. That doesn't return void. And when people hear, seeds are planted. We're all called to share. We're all called to give testimony to what God has done. And by hearing people believe. Hebrews 11:31 says that by faith, Rahab the prostitute received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who obeyed. She had a living faith. He finishes the section with a summary in verse 26 as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without deeds is dead a faith that does not express itself in loving deeds is dead again we can't solve every problem in our life that comes across our life but if you are sensitive to the to the voice of god he will put you in the pathway of people that he intends you to minister to not just in word, but in deed. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says to examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Tony Evans, again, says that faith is acting like God is telling the truth. I remember what I was going to say earlier. I believe that everything good and bad that comes Christ, our life is either willed or allowed by God. Amen? If that is so, and if the promises of God are true, that we are going to suffer persecution and we are going to have sorrows and we are going to have trials, if we are living a life that is trial-free, pain-free, sorrow-free, maybe it's time for us to examine ourselves and look at ourselves in the mirror and let God review our faith with us. I'm not saying it's impossible to live an easy Christian life. Not saying that's impossible because everything's possible with God. I just know what he promised and that's problems. But those problems are there to build us and to edify us and to help us and teach us to lean further on Christ because where does our strength come from? Christ. Do we know about him or do we believe in him? Stories told of a missionary in China. He was in China and he once told Jesus for the first time to a group of people that were on an island when he finished, someone said, oh, yes, we know Jesus. I'm sorry. I shouldn't. I'm, I don't mean to talk like that. Oh, yes, we know Jesus. He used to live here. Somewhat surprised. The is like, <laughs> wait a minute. He lived 2,000 years ago. He tried to explain that. But the man insisted, we have met Jesus. He lived here. Not so. He lived in this village. We knew him. The crowd then took the missionary to the village cemetery and showed him the grave of a medical missionary who had lived, loved, served, healed, and died in that community. Would anyone ever confuse us with Jesus by looking at our life? How is your faith evidenced? We are saved by faith alone. There's no amount of good works. We've settled that. There is nothing you can do to earn the unmerited grace and favor of God through faith in Christ. Can't do it. A.W. A. Tozer once wrote that at the root of the Christian life lies belief in the invisible. The object of the Christian's faith is unseen reality. Today, faith alone is our means of accessing God outside the struggle of life. That struggle is always going to exist. But faith in Christ is outside of that. It is not defined by the works and the deeds. Where's your faith this morning? On whom is your faith this morning? every eye closed and every head bowed. Father God, we come to you only through your unmerited grace and favor, through our faith in Christ Jesus, which in it brings glory to you. Search our hearts today and every day. Stretch us, Lord, I pray that you bring us trial and persecution so that we can grow through it. Help us derive fully on you. Help our faith to rest purely in you and not on insubstantial worldly things. Speak to our hearts. And if there's anyone here this morning that does not have that relationship with Christ, I ask that you just open your hearts to the spirit of God and let him speak to you and minister to you. In the name of our heavenly father, amen.